In our sermon, we'll be looking at uh, what it means to be part of Christ's family. And we see part of what Christ means as we look at John chapter 15 for our uh, scripture reading this morning. John chapter 15, Jesus is describing his, to his disciples what it means to be connected to him. We're we'll reading John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. of the word of God. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Amen. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Lord, what we are about to read and to hear is your word. And you've told us that these are the words of life. These are the words that each one of us needs for salvation, to be able to please you, to follow you all the days of our lives, and to enter into your glory. We pray, Lord, that we would listen with that kind of eagerness, that kind of desire, and that you would do your work through your spirit to open our ears, soften our hearts, and Lord, to change us. We pray that you would do this because you are a good and faithful God who sends out your word to accomplish your purposes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. Mark chapter 3, 31 to 35. Before I actually read those verses, I want to remind us of the context. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 35 is actually one large passage We're just looking at the very, very end of the passage together this morning. And in this larger passage, Mark is showing us different responses to Jesus. 
Uh, we saw two wrong responses to Jesus last time. We saw Jesus' family. They try to control him. And we saw the scribes. They try to condemn him. Neither group understands or believes who Jesus is. But in these final verses, we see something different. We see people rightly responding to Jesus in faith, and we see how that faith transforms our relationship with Christ. We become part of Christ's true family. So with that in mind, I'm going to read the whole passage to give us the context, but we're going to focus on verses 31 to 35. So let's start in verse 20. And Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And then when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they ever, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they were saying, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God He is my brother and sister and mother. So look at this passage together. The main idea is that God gives us a new identity. He gives a new identity to those who respond rightly to Christ. We become members of Christ's family. Again, God gives us a new identity. It's giving those who respond rightly to Christ a new identity. We become members of Christ's family. So look at this passage this morning, we'll see three basic points. We'll see our new identity, then we'll see the challenge of our new identity, and finally, the comfort of our new identity. Really, each one of these covers the whole passage. You notice there's no verse numbers there. That's because this is a short passage, and each one of these is key to the entire set of verses. I want to start with looking at our new identity. That's our first point, our new identity. So you think about this passage, Jesus makes an astonishing claim in these verses. He calls his followers his family members. Verse 34, looking about at those who are sitting around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. They're not followers anymore. They are family members. Think about our own families. These are, the, these are the closest relationships that we have, right? With our brothers, with our sisters, with our parents. That's how God designed it. And I, I know sin has broken many of those relationships, even in our own families. 
but we do still know and experience the closeness that Jesus is talking about. The family relationships that we have are some of the closest that we will ever have. But now Jesus says, it's not that kind of relationship just with your natural family. You can have that kind of close, intimate fellowship with Jesus. We are no longer just members of our own family. We are now part of his family. That that is way better than being like family. Okay? We probably know family friends who become like family, right? I I can think of, you know, aunt so-and-so or uncle so-and-so, and and you find out later they're actually not even related to you. Or uh, I can think of some family friends, teenagers who seem to hang around our house so much that they are counted as our family but they're not. They're not actually our family. They are like our family. But Jesus says that is not true of you. That is not true of any believer. We are his family. We are his brothers. We are his sisters. We are his mother. Our identity has been permanently changed to be sons of God. This is what John talks about in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. John is emphasizing our identity. This is the relationship that we now have in Christ's family. If you think back through Mark, up to this point in Mark, Jesus has established some very surprising relationships. We've seen that he spends time with sinners, Uh, He heals the sick and the demon-possessed. He's even gone so far as to call 12 apostles, right? These 12 disciples who have a special relationship with him, and they will share in his ministry. But Christ now, revealing that all his followers are all his family members, that is maybe the most surprising relationship of all. Because he says that all of us have the exact same relationship with him. The closest relationship that is possible to have with him. Just think for a minute about who was sitting at Jesus' feet that day. He was looking at the crowd. There were men and women. There were old and young boys and girls. Some were apostles. Some were just ordinary followers, right? The only thing that they actually shared in common maybe was that they were all Jewish. But apart from that... They didn't have anything in common with Jesus. None of them are his actual family. His actual family is standing outside the house. None of his relatives are there. And yet Jesus says, you are my family. See, it didn't matter then and it doesn't matter now who you are by yourself. Christ welcomes all kinds of people into his family. Every true follower of Christ is more than just a follower. He is a family member. But how is that possible? How can Christ say something so astonishing here? Look at verse 35. We see his reason. He says, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Everyone who does the will of God becomes a member of Christ's family. That raises the obvious question, right? What does it mean to actually do the will of God? We might jump instantly to obeying God, to keeping all of his commandments, to be keeping the law. 
And that's true. That's part of doing the will of God. But Jesus has a more specific kind of obedience in mind as he says these words. And it's the obedience of faith. Look at verse 34. Looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Jesus says that this crowd right now is doing the will of God. And what are they doing? They are with Jesus and they are learning from Jesus. This is doing the will of God. They are believing in and submitting to Jesus Christ. And their faith is then shown in concrete ways by being with Jesus and learning from him. True faith always has fruit. And we're seeing the fruit of their faith as they've come to sit with Jesus. Faith is the most important part of doing the will of God. In fact, if you don't believe in and submit to Christ, there's no way you can obey God in any other part of your life. It's not possible. We saw it in the book of John. Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear fruit. Not the other way around. You have to be in Christ. Jesus says it again a different way. Later in the gospel of John, the the Jews come to ask him, well, what does it mean to obey God? They said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus gives them one simple command. Jesus answered them, this one thing is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, to believe in Jesus Christ. Now there's more. Like I said, our fruit will come from that. But the one act of obedience, the core of our obedience to God is faith. And when we believe, when we do that, we become members of Christ's family. This is all part of God's work of salvation. He gives us the faith that we need to exercise. Look at Ephesians 2. It's a gift from God. And then he adopts us into his family. John 1, or what we just looked at in 1 John chapter 3. Now, our faith doesn't automatically qualify us to be brothers and sisters of Christ as if we now deserve to be in God's family when we believe. The adoption that Jesus is describing here is always an act of God's free grace. But the Bible is clear on the connection between your faith and his adoption. If we do have faith in Christ, we do become part of his family. You cannot have faith and not be a family member of Christ. John describes it this way, John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, exercised that faith, he gave the right to become children of God. We've seen it many times so far, but I just want to emphasize it again. Faith is the dividing line. Nothing else. To be in Christ's family is to believe. Faith is the dividing line. Now, the wider context of our passage helps us to understand why Jesus makes these kinds of statements about faith and family now. Why is he doing it in these particular verses? Remember the context. We just read it. This has been a a, a big passage that's full of unbelief and rejection. We've seen it in his own family, Jesus' own family, and we've seen it in the scribes, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And now in verses 31 to 32, we're reminded of it again. As our our passage opens, we meet Jesus' family again. It says, 
And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent him and they called him. They're trying to get a hold of Jesus. And here's the question. Have they come to seek Jesus in faith? The answer is no. The answer is very clearly no. Look back at verse 21, the last time that we saw them. And when his family heard about his ministry, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. His family thinks he's crazy and they're standing outside the door trying to get him to come home, not to keep doing his work. But think about the contrast in this passage. Jesus' natural family is standing outside the house trying to take him home because they think he's crazy. But Jesus' spiritual family is inside sitting at his feet, listening to him because they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is their Savior and their Lord. That's the contrast that we see here. And that contrast really leads us then to our second point that we're going to see this morning, the challenge of our new identity. I want you to think, who do you think Jesus' words about true family, who do you think those words would have hit hardest that day? I mean, his words would have had a deep impact on the crowd and his apostles because they just realized maybe for the first time the true closeness of Christ's relationship with them, that he's calling them his family. But I want you to step outside the house and think about how his natural family felt. Mary and his brothers standing outside when they heard those words of Jesus. You can imagine their response. They've just sent the message to Jesus, and this is the answer they get back. Uh, Sorry, these are my brothers and sisters and mother. Think about what they might have said. How dare he say something like that? I mean, don't we have a right to see Jesus? We're related by blood. We have a, even a greater right than those people do. Who are they even? Now, when Jesus challenges his, his family here, when he calls these other people, his followers, his family, he isn't being disrespectful. Right? He's not trying to be disrespectful to his natural family. He's still keeping the fifth commandment of honor your father and your mother. But he is challenging them. He's challenging his natural family because their relationship with Jesus was founded on family ties. Those ties are strong and deep, but they are something other than faith. And Jesus has been clear. Faith is more important than anything else. You know, if that challenge is true for Jesus' own family, it's even more true for any of us who claim to be connected to Jesus by anything but faith. There can be a lot of reasons why we think we have a relationship with Christ. I'm a Christian because, you know, fill in the blank. And there are lots of things that we can put in that blank. I'm a Christian because I do good things. Okay, there's a grain of truth there because obeying God is necessary, but we've already seen you cannot please God without faith in Christ first. Or what's another one? I'm a Christian because I go to church. I've heard that many times. Again, there's a grain of truth. God commands us to be in church. But just because you come every week doesn't mean you have faith in Jesus. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. I can tell you there were faithful church members. They came every week. They never believed in Jesus Christ. Going to church does not save you. 
Or a similar one, I'm a Christian because my family is Christian. Or I grew up Christian. You cannot trust in a Christian family or a Christian upbringing for your salvation. Maybe I can push this a little bit harder. I'm a Christian because I was baptized. Or I'm a Christian because I went forward. Or I'm a Christian because I'm a member of a church. You know, baptism and becoming a member are good things which God commands. The altar call can have serious issues. We can talk about that later. But even these things, even these things which God commands us, cannot be a replacement for faith. Just because you know the right doctrine, or just because you have joined a church, doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. In fact, every one of those reasons I just listed, and many more, can be a subtle form of rejecting Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? I need to be careful, right? Because some of those things that we just looked at are obeying God's commands. But in each case, we can replace God's way of being in a relationship with Christ, faith, we can replace God's way with something that we do. Whether it's going to church, being from the right family, or doing the right things. Faith is what joins us to Jesus Christ. And Jesus in our passage gives us a test, really a test for everyone who claims Christ, says faith leads to specific fruit. I want you to hear these questions. Are you doing the will of God by believing in Jesus? That's what he's pushing us in this passage to see. Have you actually repented of your sins and believed in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord? And does your faith then lead to the attitudes and actions of the people that we see here in this passage? Do you delight, for instance? Do you delight to be in Jesus' presence? Especially to be in church with your fellow believers. In other words, is being with Jesus and your spiritual family the priority in your life? And do you delight humbly to submit to Jesus' word when it's read and preached in worship and when you read it on your own? Those are the marks of a true family member. Everyone who believes in Jesus for salvation, we grow in our love for Jesus, we, we grow in our desire to be in his presence, we grow in our desire to be in his word, and we'll have ups and downs along the way. But true faith is shown in these attitudes and actions. These are marks of being in Jesus' spiritual family. We may not ever share anything else in common. We won't look like each other. We don't come from the same background. But every family member of Jesus Christ loves to be with him, loves to be with his people, and loves to be hearing from his word. Is that you? Is that you? If you or someone you love or someone you know doesn't have those desires, doesn't make those his priorities, it's time to pray. It's time to get down on our knees and pray. Pray to God to work in their hearts to bring them to faith. We should desire that many would be challenged by Jesus' words here and come to faith and become part of Jesus' family. That is not an empty prayer. That is something that God delights to do. He did it for us. He brought us sons of the devil and he's made us sons of God. If he's done it for us, he can do it for anyone. So there is a challenge. There's a challenge built into this passage as we think about our, our new identity. 
But I want us to finish by looking thirdly at the comfort, the comfort of our new identity. Jesus' words here are one of the greatest comforts that any of us can have. I want us to think about what it means to be part of Jesus' spiritual family. We see God's love for us in adopting us into his family. When you think about salvation, when you think about your salvation, we already see God's amazing grace and love um, by sending Jesus. Right? Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, and that's already amazing that he loves us enough as sinners to save us from those very same sins. And he saved us. Think about the way that he did that. It shows his grace and love again. He takes on our nature. He becomes even closer to us. He becomes just like us in the incarnation. So we, as we think about salvation, we see God's grace and love. But I want us to think about God's adoption. God's adoption of us. We see even greater love and grace here because he brings us into such a close relationship with Jesus and through Jesus with himself. Okay? We're not sinners. We're not even just servants. We are family. Christ is not just our savior and mediator. He is now our elder brother. And he is not ashamed to call us brothers. And through Christ, God is now our heavenly father. And we can call him Abba Father. There there are so many ways that this new identity can comfort us. Just list a few. Every Christian has this kind of close relationship with God. We're very different. We know that. Just look around. We're different. And we're not just different because we come from different places. We're even different spiritually, right? We're at different places in our spiritual growth, in our understanding of God. We're certainly in different places in our roles in the church. But each one of us shares something in common. We are a brother of Christ and a son of God. This is something that all of us share. Maybe I can put it this way. There are no second-class sons in God's family. You belong. If you're in Christ, you belong. And you have all the same rights and privileges that we all have. You have Jesus as your elder brother who has promised to help you in time of need. You have God as your heavenly father who has promised to hear you whenever you pray. And you have each one of us as your brothers and sisters to help you along the way. And isn't that the free access and the benefits that you would expect as being a child in a family? That's what we would expect in our own families and how much more in Christ's family. It is all yours. You are a son and this is yours. But our new identity also comforts us because it defines us. That might not initially seem like a comfort, but it is because now we know who we are. We have other relationships, we have other responsibilities, but nothing is more important than being in Christ's family. Part of our new identity defining us means that it keeps us from sin. We now know who we are, and we want to act that way. We want to act like a son of God. But it's even greater than that, because God says that every son that he adopts, he will be acting in to keep us more and more from sin, and actually to shape us, to look like Jesus Christ, his own son. And because we, we know who we are, our closest relationships actually become those we have with Christ and his people. 
because we begin to see how similar we really are. We see that faith makes all the difference in the world. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, don't, don't stop being friends with other believers. Hear me clearly. Don't stop being friends with other believers, unbelievers. Um, but rely on believers. Go first to your true spiritual family. Seek their counsel. Seek their company and point one another to Christ. So our new identity is a comfort because it defines us. It tells us who we are. Just two more. One is that our new identity gives us eternal assurance. We talked about 1 John 3, 1, where he says, you are now son of God. And he says, but there's more coming. He says that we do not know yet what we will be like. But when Jesus returns and we are made to look like him, that is when our sonship is complete. There is an eternal comfort to being part of Jesus' family. It's not just for the here and now, as good as that is. It's for eternity, to look like Jesus and to have the rights of privileges to come into God's presence forever. But there's one more, at least one more. And I just want to point this one as the last one. I want you to see that Jesus delights to have you as his brother. And God delights to have you as his son. I chose those words very carefully, very deliberately. God delights to have you. Think about Jesus again that day. When Jesus looked around the house, who did he see? He saw a group of sinners. He saw a group of sinners who had put their faith in him. And as he looked at them, he knew what they would do. He knew that they would still fail him. He knew that they would only slowly grow in their faith and then they'd fall back a little bit and they'd grow a little more and fall back in it. You know, when Jesus looks at us, does he, does he see anything different? Be honest, no. Jesus looks, us, uh, looks at us and he sees us also as sinners who have put our faith in him. We've got a long way to go. But Christ is not ashamed to call them and to call us his brothers because it isn't about you. He has paid for all of our sins. He has cleansed us. He has sanctified us. He makes us worthy to be his brothers. That's why he delights to have us as his brothers. And what's true for Christ is true for God. God delights to call us his sons. Because God the Father looks at us in Christ. He loves us as he loves his own son, Jesus Christ. How can we doubt that kind of love? We do, but we don't need to. That is the love that God has shown. The love of God that is shown to us in Christ is the unshakable foundation of our identity as members of Christ's family. It's true, it can be tempting to doubt whether we belong or or to really believe that we have forgiveness because aren't my sins just too bad? Maybe God one day is just going to kick me out. No. No, we need to stop looking at our own sin. We need to stop looking at our own works. We need to turn and look again to why we're in the family in the first place. Look at our elder brother. Look at our heavenly father. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The father loved us enough to send his son. The son 
loved us enough to come and die for us. And the Holy Spirit loves us enough to be that spirit of adoption to bring us into the family of Christ. Do you know that love this morning? I pray that you do. Are you part of Christ's family by faith? I pray that you are. If your claim to Christ is based on anything besides faith, you have nothing. Nothing. But if your claim to Christ is based only on faith, you have everything, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have made us your children, that Christ is now our older brother, that we're in this amazing family relationship with you. It's just mind-blowing. You have taken us out of our sin. You've brought us into your kingdom. You've actually brought us into your very house, into your very presence, and made us sons and co-heirs with Christ. Lord, we pray that that new identity would comfort us. Comfort us as we look forward to heaven. Comfort us in our trials. Comfort us as we seek to serve you as your children. Comfort us because all of this, our identity and our future and everything, our blessings are all from you. We pray, Lord, also that you would bring many to repentance. Bring many to salvation that none that we meet would be able to rest in anything but Christ. And our faith in him that you've given us, we pray, Lord, that you would bring many sons and daughters to come and worship you and to be joined into the family of God. We pray this here and around the world, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.